hello, welcome to the first edition of the Turnover Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Larch. I hope you're as excited as I am. I've been meaning to do one of these for a while, and now here I am. I'm ready to go. But first, let's start off on a serious note. Rest in peace, Roy Halladay. I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. I saw him, albeit towards the end of his career, but he's obviously one of the greatest pitchers of his generation, maybe of all time. Two Cy Youngs, the second pitcher to ever pitch a no-hitter in the postseason. I mean, just outpouring from other players across the league of how much he meant to them. I saw Cole Hamels have a press conference about him yesterday. I saw the quotes from Chase Utley, um, Nelson Figueroa, Carlos Ruiz, Marcus Stroman. I mean, outpouring of respect and regards to his family. Um, And I hope, you know, everything just gets better from here if it can. I know it's a tough time. With all of that said, I think it would be appropriate to kick off the first episode of the Turnover Podcast with a moment of silence for Roy Halladay. Thank you for your patience. Now let's jump right in. The first story I want to talk about is the World Cup. Adidas just released the World Cup jerseys. It's a lot of throwback inspirations, you know, it's kind of rehashes but modernizations of previous jerseys that the countries have worn in the World Cup. The nicest one is probably Argentina's. They've kind of simplified their look, but it's still sleek, still that simple blue and white vertical stripes. I actually just bought my little brother a Leo Messi jersey the other day because it's his favorite player, and he immediately put it on, starts playing around like he's Leo Messi in our house, gave me the biggest hug he's ever given me. But... Messi, who I think is the greatest player in the world, actually said he wants to avoid Spain in the World Cup. Now, that rubs me a little bit the wrong way. I don't want to hear the greatest player shying away from anybody. But, I mean, he's also kind of made it known he isn't really feeling it too much. He doesn't really want his international soccer career to keep going too much longer. So, I I just think his heart might not be in it as much this year. Maybe he's just trying to go to another one and see what happens. I don't think he believes in his team too much. And, you know, out of all the jerseys, you know who doesn't have one? It'd be the United States of America. After that crushing defeat to Trinidad and Tobago in the World Cup qualifiers, you know, there was the responses from Taylor Twellman. I heard Alexi Lalas talk about it. They kind of shared the same sentiment. Surprisingly, Alexi Lalas wasn't as fiery as Taylor Twellman was. But, I mean, I agree with both of them that I think the U.S. soccer program needs a complete retooling. It needs to be, I wouldn't say torn down, but definitely needs some scrutiny. Definitely needs a sense of urgency going forward. I mean, you have these players, guys that many think are stars. Christian Pulisic is certainly a star. He's certainly already the best player on the team. I thought that forward group of him, Josie Altidore, and Bobby Wood looked really good together, really strong chemistry, and then you had Nagby coming in as well. But then there's also, you know, what do you do with an aging Michael Bradley or a Clint Dempsey going forward where these guys were supposed to be the leaders of the team for so long and then now they're not making that difference as much. Defensively, DeAndre Yedlin still plays some good soccer. The center backs really need some work. Um, Tim Howard's getting up there in age. His backup, uh, Brad Guzan, he's up there in age. I mean, there really doesn't seem to be a great succession plan. And like these pundits have been saying, there is so much money invested into the U.S. soccer program. Why are we not 
getting better? Why are we not starting to compete with these teams? I think the major reason, you know, goes back to something Jurgen Klinsmann said when he was the head man for the squad. You know, he said he didn't like his players playing in MLS. Well, coincidentally, the guys that he had overseas, you know, a Josie Altador, a Michael Bradley, they all came back home. And I don't really understand why they would do that. Tim Howard as well, he came back home. And, you know, I agree with Klinsman in the sense that these guys need to be playing against the best competition in the world if you want to, A, increase the brand. You know, if you want to get young kids excited, like I said, my little brother was freaking out that I got him a Lionel Messi jersey. If I got him a Michael Bradley jersey, he wouldn't have cared. You know, but if Michael Bradley's still playing for AS Roma and he's putting up some numbers over there playing some good soccer, maybe my little brother knows who he is. Maybe he has a better idea of him. I mean, the biggest names in the sport play overseas. You know, we have this league in our own backyard, but it's not like how there's the NFL and the CFL and we only know the NFL players and the world only knows the NFL players. With soccer, it's the other way around. It's you know, even in America, we really only know the players that are abroad. We only know the Messis, the Ronaldos, um, the De Bruyne's, the Rooney's, you know, the guys that have built up that brand overseas. So that doesn't happen here. And now with a league that hasn't been very competitive, it's kind of become a retirement home of source with, you know, Kaká and Pirlo coming over. And, um, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips is another one that had a lot of success when he was here. I mean, Thierry Henry... You know, you have these guys that are just kind of coming to collect paychecks and moonlight. They're still miles ahead of the other players in the league. I mean, Andrea Pirlo is not the same Andrea Pirlo he was, but he's still probably better than 95% of the MLS. And that's where the problem lies, where you have this domestic league set up that's constantly expanding. It's, you know, getting all the top talent out of U.S. colleges and then, also, even bringing in other players, like I said, I live in Philadelphia. We have Andre Blake as our goaltender, who is a phenomenal goaltender. He almost, I mean, he was pushing Jamaica through the World Cup qualifiers and got him kind of close until I think he got injured and then he couldn't keep it going. But he's one of those guys that's a transcendent talent or can be a transcendent talent. But he's kind of being wasted in the MLS. And I think you can point to a few players with that. Like, I'm really glad that Christian Pulisic is playing for BVB and he hasn't come to the MLS yet and I hope he never comes to the MLS because he's only going to get better playing against these top players you know if he's going up against defenders like a Mats Hummels I mean he can only progress if he comes over to the US and he just runs roughshod over the MLS what is he going to learn how is he going to get better and I think that kind of needs to be the lesson with all of them you either have to make the MLS stronger or we have to push our best players to go abroad and develop and increase the brand of U.S. soccer globally. So without that happening, I mean, it might be a long road, but we're going to have four long years to think about it. I mean, I am a soccer fan. I will still be watching the World Cup, but I know a lot of Americans have no interest in it now, and that's a shame, and that's on the U.S. soccer program. Now switching gears a little bit, there was a couple of trades over the last couple of days in both the NHL and the NBA. We're talking about both of them right now. First, we're going to talk about Eric Bledsoe being traded from the Phoenix Suns to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the, in return, the Suns get Greg Monroe and a first-round pick for Bledsoe. Monroe only playing 15.8 minutes a night. Really not, you know, looking like the guy that people thought he could have been, especially when Milwaukee dished out that contract to him that a lot of people said was overpaying him at the time, and it's really proved to be. 
Um, Phoenix, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN saying that they prefer to trade Monroe to someone else instead of buying him out. Part of it is apparently to open up a roster spot to pursue Joel Okafor. Many thought the Bledsoe deal would kind of be the first domino to fall for the Jaleel Okafor saga to finally end where he has just been treated poorly in Philadelphia. Brian Colangelo has, I can't really think of how you could do any worse treating a player than Colangelo has, but that's a different talk for another day. Bledsoe to Milwaukee, I mean, with the state of the East right now, it isn't the strongest. Milwaukee was already a playoff team. They already look much improved just because of how much better Giannis looks this year where you know we all knew he had all this athletic talent and all this upside but now he's putting it all together and it's just downright frightening and now you put Eric Bledsoe in that rotation with him first thing I think about is what the Bucks can do on defense Bledsoe a very good defender Malcolm Brogdon a very good defender Chris Middleton a very good defender you put those three on the perimeter and now you can let Giannis work solely as a rim protector and down on the post I mean that's a frightening defense that's a lot of athleticism that's a lot of ability to force turnovers um, and keep the ball out of the hoop and then going the other way Bledsoe a capable scorer um, you know Brogdon's look, shown a little bit of improvement this year over last year Chris Middleton, you know, like I said, he's a 3 and D. He can chip in when he needs to. You still have Jabari Parker in that fold. Milwaukee's a team to look at going forward. They just lost to Cleveland last night. You know, Giannis had another very good game. This is a team that's really making a push for it. You know, Wes Edens, he said trust the results in remarks to trusting the process in Philadelphia. He's getting the results right now. And you can't really argue with it. Now he's made this move to go out there and get Eric Bledsoe and bring him into Milwaukee and make them a little congested with their guards. But, I mean, you add a talent like that next to the way Milwaukee was already playing, there's a very good chance they get even better. Now for Phoenix, they wanted to bring in a young player. And that's a young core there. You have Marcus Chris, TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, and Devin Booker. And they wanted to try to get another piece in. I'm surprised they didn't push for... I'm um, sure they did push for a Brogdon or a Thon maker, but I'm surprised they didn't at least come away with maybe a maker and a second for Bledsoe instead of taking the first round pick. And now they have to get rid of Greg Monroe somehow because they were trying to get rid of Tyson Chandler in the deal with Bledsoe, and that didn't happen. So it'll be interesting to see how Phoenix handles this going forward. I mean, they're not really a team, especially with how strong that Western Conference is. They're not really a team that you expect to come in and start making any noise anytime soon. Um, they're a few years away, but they definitely have some good pieces. I mean, I really like the idea of Devin Booker and Josh Jackson on the same team. Devin Booker is just a very, very good NBA player, and he's still getting better. And Josh Jackson, if he can just you know refine his shot a little bit because he's already a fantastic perimeter defender, that's a lineup that has good things to build around. They just didn't really get much to build around in this deal. You don't know what the first round pick's going to be. And with Milwaukee looking like they're going to make a deep playoff run or a deeper one than they've made in the past, that first round pick probably won't mean much to them either. And now the other trade, the NHL, Matthew Shane, his saga finally ends. He's been on the trade block since last season. He's leaving Colorado. He's heading to Ottawa in a three-team deal with Kyle Turris leaving Ottawa to go to the Nashville Predators. Turris immediately gets a new contract extension. So he is locked in down there with the Predators. And Colorado gets a bunch of prospects and picks back in return for Matthew Shane. Now, right away, 
Matthew Shane's going to get a chance to get revenge against the Colorado Avalanche because they're in the NHL Global Series where you'll see Ottawa and Colorado playing in Sweden. Now, Matthew Shane has a reason to play. He's been stuck in Colorado, kind of wallowing away. This is a former third overall pick. This guy can play some hockey, and don't sleep on him at all, especially now that he's on a team that I think is one of the best coached in the NHL. I love the way Guy Boucher has the Ottawa Senators playing year in and year out. That's a team that had no business getting to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, but because of Guy Boucher and because of Eric Carlson, who is probably my favorite player in hockey, I mean, that team just exceeded expectations, and now they're getting Carlson back. They bring Matthew Shane in, who I liked Kyle Turris. I think Kyle Turris was a very good fit in Ottawa, but Matthew Shane is definitely going to bring more offensive upside to that team. Maybe he sparks... You know, a Bobby Ryan who's kind of been falling away the past couple of years. He, I don't think Bobby Ryan's playing bad hockey. He just isn't the 30-goal scorer that he used to be. And now you've seen Kyle Turris to Nashville, where Nashville went to the Stanley Cup last year. And, I mean, they're still a formidable lineup. Their defense, when healthy, is among, if not the best group in the NHL. And now you have a Kyle Turris who can give them more offensive skill to that lineup he's a good two-way center he's got a big body which fits what Nashville likes to do you know you have a Ryan Johansson came in last year he played great hockey for them now you bring in another offensive minded center where you know the identity of Nashville has really been to you know grind along the boards play that glue hockey as Peter Laviolette likes to say with jam they have that they always have. That's his. That's Laviolette's brand of hockey. But now you bring in these offensive players like Ataris. You got Johansson last year, Victor Arvidsson. You know this team is gonna be going up towards making another Stanley Cup run again this year, as long as they can stay healthy. I mean, Pekarene is still Pekarene. He's getting up there in age, but he showed last year that he has not gone away. And now this Nashville team is even deeper, and that's scary to think about. So those are two trades that are definitely going to have an effect on both of their leagues. But right now I want to stick with basketball and the NBA. First I want to go talk about the NBA rookies right now. Here we are. We're about, you know, maybe an eighth through the season. Not a big sample size, but you're kind of getting a feel for which guys can play which guys can't. So I've got four guys I want to talk about. Not really even their stats. I mean, the stats are going to come into play because it's sports, but... These are just guys I like watching the play and I think are going to have very bright futures in the NBA. The first one is the guy that should win the Rookie of the Year. That's Ben Simmons. Now, this is a kid, you know, we sit here, we talk about him, we all forgot about him. Joel Embiid came in last year, he made all the noise out in Philadelphia, and then Ben Simmons had the broken foot, he was out all year, we kind of forgot about him. You know, year goes on, we get into camp this year, people are kind of like, well, what's Ben Simmons really going to do? All Ben Simmons is really going to do is almost average a triple-double in his first 10 career games. It, the kid's absolutely insane. And he's he's only, what, I think he's 21 years old? He's playing his first 10 games. This is how good he is already. I mean, the comparisons that he is the next face of the league or he's the next LeBron James or he's the next star... It's easy to believe it with the way this kid's come out and played right now. I mean, he looks like a man amongst boys, and he's still a boy. Wait until he is a man. You know, the same way how LeBron got his body stronger, he developed his game. Expect Simmons to do the same thing. And then Simmons, when he gets to that level, 
there's no telling how good he's going to be because I think he has a bit of a deeper skill set than LeBron James. I'm not going to guarantee anything because that would just be ridiculous. He's just starting his NBA career. But, I mean, I've never seen a guy this big that can pass like this, handle like this, defend like this. He's doing everything, and he's still trying to work on things. They ask him all the time, you know, how'd you feel about this game? And, you know, he'll put up a triple-double. He'll go, I don't care if we don't win. Or, you know, he'll say, I thought I would have been playing better. He's averaging 18, 9.8 rebounds, 8.2 assists in 35 minutes a night. And he thought he'd be playing better than that. That's absolutely insane. That tells you this kid wants to get better. And I believe he will, which is just almost unfathomable for the way he started. Next guy I want to talk about from the Utah Jazz, Donovan Mitchell. I got a chance to watch him last night when he was actually playing against the Sixers. He didn't have a great shooting night. But... You know, this kid comes out, he's all over the place. He's always involved in the play, always playing great defense, always trying to make something happen. This is the kind of guy that makes your team better. You know, I don't care if he isn't a great shooter because neither was Tony Allen, neither was Bruce Bowen, but these are guys that are difference makers. And Donovan Mitchell is going to be a difference maker in the NBA. Mark my words on that one. Whether he stays in Utah, goes somewhere else, this is a guy that will affect the outcomes of games and he will do it positively throughout his career. Now jumping to LA, not talking about the big baller brand just yet. I'll get to that in a moment. But Kyle Kuzma with the Los Angeles Lakers, he was... I thought their best player in summer league when everyone went and crowned Lonzo Ball the king of the NBA, Kyle Kuzma was playing some great basketball. And now if Larry Nance Jr. goes down, Kyle Kuzma gets thrust into the spotlight. All he does is rise his game. He's playing even better now. He's got more minutes to show what he can do, and he can do a lot. Strong on the boards, good at putting up points, You know, strong defender. He's got the range to his shot. This is a guy that you can start to build around a little bit in LA. Lonzo Ball, I don't think he's done. I don't think he's a bust. I think he's just young, and I think he's got a ways to go to reach what he's supposed to be, which what I think he's supposed to be is a pretty one-dimensional player. But Kyle Kuzma, he is not one-dimensional. He's the real guy to watch out in LA. And the last guy I want to talk about is De'Aaron Fox. Just speed, just energy. I mean, I think energy is something in the NBA that you can't really put a price on. You know, you can have all the skill in the world, but if you don't show up and, you know, put it all out there, you're not going to make a difference. De'Aaron Fox puts it all out there every single play. We know how fast he is. I mean, he loves to play defense, which that's welcome in today's NBA. You know, you don't really see too much defense, especially from the top teams anymore. But, you know, when the I think back to when the Miami Heat lost to the Dallas Mavericks, the Heat were supposed to bury Dallas. Dallas played better defense. Dallas won the championship that year. De'Aaron Fox is a guy that takes pride in his defense, and he has an offensive game to go with it, and he's a guy who continues to develop his offensive game as well. So keep an eye on those four players going forward, but talking about another player who isn't in the NBA yet, and now he may never make it, it's Lonzo's brother, Leangelo. So apparently, UCLA, they're out there in China, which I don't understand that to begin with. Three UCLA players get arrested for shoplifting in China. Now, Leangelo Ball, one of those three, he's facing three to 10 years in prison if he's convicted. I don't know how strong the case is, what all the circumstances are. I don't want to speculate on that. What I will say is this is kind of what LeVar Ball got himself into when he started, you know, speaking things into existence and stay in your lane. Well, maybe, 
you know, it would have been a good time for him to stay in his. Because, and I love LeVar Ball. I think the man's a visionary. I think he is one of the best marketing minds in the world. Because I am one of the people that believe he is two steps ahead at all times. This, however, it's hard to be two steps ahead on this one. So, LiAngelo goes from a probable late first round, second round pick in the NBA draft next year to facing jail time in a foreign country. Now, my biggest issue with this isn't anything LeVar has said. isn't even what LiAngelo may or may not have done. My problem is why is the NCAA sending these players to China? The NFL goes to London, yeah. The NHL went to China. They're in Sweden right now, yeah. The NBA is going to London this year, yeah, I get it. But the NCAA isn't those organizations. The NCAA doesn't have a players' union like those organizations, a players' union that can stand up for these players. What's the NCAA going to do? All the NCAA does is dish out harsher punishments for bad behavior. So what business does the NCAA have putting these players at risk by sending them abroad to play a game for the NCAA's profit? It makes no sense. It's unfair to the players. And now you have three players whose future is jeopardized, albeit by their own actions. But at the same time, you kind of put them in that situation. You put them in the foreign country that has these harsher rules. You know, we always hear how, I mean, this is probably a little bit old school now, but if you got caught stealing, they chop your hands off or things like that. So now LiAngelo Ball, here he is. His future is up in jeopardy because NCAA wanted to make a buck and play in China. Meanwhile, the players are getting none of this money. You know, I'm sure the schools probably have to put up all the money for the travel. If not, the players have to pay for some of it, which is absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, we're standing up to the NCAA here. That's the big issue with this is I don't care whether or not LiAngelo is right or wrong. If he is, so be it. He, you know, commit the crime due to the time. But the NCAA has no business putting these players in jeopardy in a foreign country. Because what if something different than this happened? What if these players ended up in a life, you know, jeopardizing situation where, you know, you don't understand the climate out there and there's no profit for them? It's not like when the NFL goes to London, the players are getting paid for that game. NCAA, you're not paying the players for this. You're exploiting them. That is exactly what this is. You exploited some players. Now you got three players who are putting more spotlight on you because they got in trouble in another country. The NCAA really needs to figure something out. I mean, I don't understand who okayed that, who thought that this would be a good idea for them or the players. I just can't understand how the NCAA keeps getting away with exploiting their players like this. All right, so now we'll jump back into the pros. I want to talk about what happened in the NFL last weekend in regards to the post-play physicality that took place. There was the two instances that really stick out. The A.J. Green, Jalen Ramsey incident, and then Mike Evans uh, shoving Marshawn Lattimore post-play. I think back to the uh, documentary Ice Guardians, which is all about enforcers in the NHL. And one of the really great things that that highlights is what an enforcer actually does. Where they're not just there to fight, they're there to intimidate, they're there to police the game when the referees don't police the game. I'm wondering if that's kind of what happened in the NFL this past Sunday where maybe the refs didn't do quite what the players needed them to, so the players took some matters into their own hands. I mean, I didn't really get to see those games, so I can't say for sure if that's what did happen. But I think that is usually a catalyst of these kind of things. Now, my biggest issue is 
Mike Evans got suspended for his shove of Marshawn Lattimore, which I'm not going to argue that he should or should not have been. But if he's going to be, how isn't A.J. Green suspended? Really, everything surrounding A.J. Green kind of made no sense because all Jalen Ramsey did was something we see millions of quarterbacks do over the course of our lifetimes, you know, where that's that's just a casual NFL play. I saw someone, I can't remember the exact name, but I did see someone point out that, you know, if we're going to throw Jalen Ramsey out for this, then we're going to throw Odell and Josh Norman out every single time they play each other. My biggest issue is why was Jalen Ramsey thrown out at all? He gave one shove, and then he got a rear naked choke and slammed to the ground by A.J. Green. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you ask me, that's a case where the crime didn't really fit the punishment, both in terms of Green's retaliation and being kicked out of the game. So that's something I thought the NFL should look at. And then for the NFL to not suspend A.J. Green, but to spend Mike Evans. I don't understand that either, where why is A.J. Green getting all the slack? Why is he not being held to that standard? Because I thought Green's uh, Green's situation was much more egregious than Mike Evans. Mike Evans, don't get me wrong, what he did to Marshawn Lattimore looked very violent, and it's not acceptable. But how is choking a guy on the field and slamming him to the turf post-play? How is that appropriate, NFL? So I think something should have been done about that. I don't understand how there wasn't. The next thing I want to talk about involving the NFL is Colts owner Jim Ursay, who I can't believe he still owns a team just because of how often he is negatively in the media. He apparently said something along the lines. I mean, the quote, the way I read it, wasn't exactly as bad as I thought some of the headlines said. But he's suggesting that Andrew Luck's injuries in his head. I don't understand how an owner can get away with saying something like that, especially when it's your franchise player. I mean, Andrew Luck, first, Jim say alienated Peyton Manning, similar to how I felt maybe Dan Gilbert did with LeBron James. I think Dan Gilbert is the worst owner in sports. But Jim Irsay kind of said the same thing with Peyton Manning. He said, no, you're, you know, we don't want you. You're damaged goods. We're going to go with Andrew Luck. Well, now Andrew Luck's injured, and Irsay's kind of calling out his quarterback again. So, I mean, it's honestly a miracle this guy even got a Super Bowl ring, and he owes Peyton Manning that. But now he has another guy who is supposedly good enough to get him to that platform, and here he is just dogging him again, and it makes no sense. I mean, Andrew Luck, the guy's going to lose this season. It's a shame that he's going to. But to suggest that a guy like Luck, who his injuries really come from playing a tough brand of football, you're going to challenge his toughness and say he isn't the guy that is going to go out there and put himself on the line for you. That's just absolutely insane. And, I mean, I wish there was some way for a player to respond to their owner you know, or let them know. I hope Andrew Luck says something about it because that is just unacceptable, especially from an owner who is a, you know, he's asleep at the wheel. He's a child. The guy's been arrested for DUIs and everything else. He has publicized issues, but he has the audacity. He has the balls to come out here and challenge his franchise player. It's not like his player is putting up bad numbers or acting immaturely. His player is doing everything he can. Rehabbing. He's on the field trying to teach as much as he can. He's being the perfect teammate. And you want to come out here and challenge him? You need to look at yourself in the mirror for a second there, Jim Marseille. All right, so now to wrap up the show, we're going to go over a segment that I plan to do weekly throughout the rest of the season. We're going to call it the Turnover 10. 
my top 10 teams in the NFL week after week. So here we are, week nine. Start with number 10. I have the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I like Minnesota because they've come over so much adversity this season and they continue to play good football. Their defense is among my favorite, if not my favorite, to watch. Just, you know, I love watching Xavier Rhodes play cornerback. I love watching Harrison Smith play safety. I love Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks playing middle linebacker. I mean, that is just athleticism, skill, energy. That is tough defense, and that's the kind of thing that can help you win games in January and February. Right now, with Aaron Rodgers out, with Detroit kind of up in the air, Minnesota has a clear path to the playoffs, and that's a team that I think can make a little bit of noise when they do get there. Number nine, I've got the Buffalo Bills. Now, the Bills, they lost on Thursday Night Football this week. Richie Incognito, he had some things to say about that. But I still like the Bills as a team. I think they're probably going to grab a wild card spot out of the AFC East. I think they're just better than Miami. They're better than the Jets, even though they just lost to the Jets. Um, this is an offense that does a great job taking care of the football. Tyrod Taylor does not turn it over. Factor that in with the fact that you never know if he's going to beat you with his arm or his legs. They're getting some pretty good offensive line play. You know, they're starting to click with their receivers. Jordan Matthews, now that he's healthy again, is starting to build that chemistry with Tyrod that he was starting to get before he went out. Um, they bring in Kelvin Benjamin, who gives them a legitimate wide receiver one. And now, LaShawn McCoy is still on this team. And LaShawn McCoy is, you know, perhaps the ultimate weapon. You put him and Tyrod back there and maybe some read option, run option plays. I mean, they can do a lot of things on offense now. And then they still have that Sean McDermott defense that has just been playing lights out football all season long. I really like where the Buffalo Bills are headed. I think they can sneak in to the playoffs and then maybe they can upset some teams because they have so many different things to play with on offense that no one has really seen yet so far this season. Number eight, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're the best defense in football. They're young and it's going to stay this way for a long time. Get ready for Jacksonville to run the league on the defensive side of the football the way Denver has or the way Seattle has. Jacksonville's entering that territory because of how young they are and because of how efficient that group is playing. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, Blake Bortles, who everybody was worried about, including myself, I mean, he was about to be benched. He was, you know, people speculated Eli Manning coming in. Well, now Bortles is playing clean football. He isn't turning it over. He isn't hurting his team. They are playing from the defensive end out. They're leaning on the run. Bortles understands he is not here to throw the ball 30 times a game. He is here to be captain checked down, handed off to Leonard Fournette, and let the defense keep the other team off the board. And that is how Jacksonville is winning games right now. Speaking of Leonard Fournette, he got scratched from the last game because he missed the team photo. I love that Doug Marone did that, and I love that they still went out there and they pounded the ball all game without Leonard Fournette and won the game. That's a great way to set the tone for the team you want to run. Doug Marone did that, and Leonard Fournette he came out and apologized, showed his maturity. This team is building up a strong culture and the kind that can do something in the playoffs. Kansas City, they're on a slide, but I have them at number seven. Um, Kareem Hunt, he has slowed down. He's still leading the league in rushing, but 
I mean, how long can he keep going without teams keying on him like this? It's really slowed down the offense. Um, Alex Smith has gotten a little bit less prolific as the year went on from where he was at the start of the year. Kansas City's defense is starting to falter a little bit. They still have Justin Houston. They still have Marcus Peters. Tom Bahali is not playing very good football. They're missing Eric Berry. Be interesting to see where Kansas City ends up. They're still the top dog in that division, but you know maybe an Oakland starts to sneak up on them a little bit. Maybe Denver bounces back. You know this Kansas City may have to hang on at the end of the year. After that, I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, I, they have so many weapons on offense. It's so easy to like them, and then they're playing. You know, they're back to playing Pittsburgh defense. They're getting a ton of sacks. They're forcing turnovers. But you know, in the past. I, I had said in the past that if I have to take one quarterback to win a game, I wanted Ben Roethlisberger because he's so tough. He's so hard to knock out of the game. He's gritty. I'm not seeing the same Big Ben this year. I look at him. I'm, his arm looks weaker. His balls look flatter. And overall, his demeanor just does not seem to be the same guy that he had been in the past. And that worries me. Pittsburgh should be making a lot of noise. But I'm not confident that they're going to have the guy to take them there when it gets into the tougher games, when it gets into playoff matchups. Ben Roethlisberger is losing my faith each week. Now after that, I go with the Dallas Cowboys. They're starting to look like the 13-3 team. You know, Dak Prescott is still taking care of the ball. Ezekiel Elliott is still running the ball at a great clip. However, you might be losing Ezekiel Elliott soon. You know, that's still up in the air. We'll see what happens with that. If they do, really, I'm not too worried because Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden could probably start for some teams right now, and that's their backups of one of the best rushing attacks in football. Um, offensively, though, I mean, Des Bryant has to turn it around. You really see Dak kind of leaning on his secondary receivers, and Des isn't getting those plays. And Des gets visibly frustrated by it, which is tremendously immature and that could be something that really makes it harder for the team down the road I will say Dak Prescott has done a fantastic job to not let the veteran receiver bully him into throwing the ball to him Dak has had the presence to sit there and tell him if you're not open you're not getting it and I love that about Dak however Cowboys defense still has a lot of holes on it too so they're starting to come in the form but they still have things they have to prove number four it's the Los Angeles Rams, which nobody had this team climbing this high at the beginning of the season. Their defense has played great. Todd Gurley is back. Make no mistake about it. Jared Goff is playing some good football, but this is Todd Gurley's offense. This is Todd Gurley's team. It's Todd Gurley's year. He is going out there, and he is running the ball as good as anybody in the NFL. You know, He's putting it in the end zone. He's catching it out of the backfield. He's running people over. Hit by himself, he's opening up that offense, and then Jared Goff is getting the time to throw the ball. He's getting better play designs, better than he got from Jeff Fisher, which really isn't that hard to do. But Sean McVay has gone in there. He has revamped this team. He has re-energized this team, and now they're leading their division. Even though they're leading their division, I've got the Seattle Seahawks ahead of them at three. I know Seattle just lost to Washington, but... In terms of the playoff run, in terms of what they can do in January, I trust Seattle more than I trust the inexperienced Rams. Just with the presence of a Russell Wilson, with a defense that has been there before, with a coach that has been there before, the mental makeup of the Seattle Seahawks is one that is supposed to thrive in the playoffs. 
If they just bring in Dwayne Brown, maybe that helps out their offensive line. Maybe it doesn't. But either way, you still have the best quarterback at escaping pressure, in my opinion, maybe ever. Because, I mean, and I got to see Michael Vick play, but the way Russell Wilson gets away from pressure and then makes a play down the field, I think he's the best to do that. And he still is, and he still can. And that's going to be what can put Seattle over the top. So it'll be interesting to see how they close out their season. But I think Seattle is definitely still a team to watch. Then number two, I'm going with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the machine out in New England. I mean, there's just nothing bad you can say. Even when they play bad, you expect them to come out and play better the next week. This is just the well-oiled machine. And that's what they are, and that's what they always will be as long as those two are together. Now, the defense taking another hit. Dante Hightower done for the season. They have a strong secondary. Um, Their pass rush has been completely irrelevant, and that's probably what will sink New England this year. But the offense looks very good still. Brady and Cooks are starting to click. Brady and Hogan, that's still a threat. Amendola has stayed healthy. Gronk has only missed, I think, one or two games all year, and he looks like he's still thriving. Um, they're getting some production from the running backs. Not a, you know, not any one guy in particular, but they never do. And that's Patriot football, and they're playing it to a T on the offensive side of the ball. I trust that Brady can win the games. I mean, the same way Aaron Rodgers, you trust him in the last minute, that's what Tom Brady can come out and do, and that's what he's known to do. That's what he will do. So it'll be interesting to see what team can stand up to that. But for now, New England is the class of the AFC. Now, number one in football, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I understand Dallas, you know, they're coming off a big win. They beat Kansas City. They beat the only team that the Eagles lost to this year. But the Eagles just hung 50 points on the team that decimated, embarrassed the Dallas Cowboys. On the best defense in football, the Eagles scored 51 points. That is absolutely absurd. This is a team that mentally they see a challenge and they want to crush it. They want to destroy it. And that's what they did last Sunday. That's what they've been doing. You know, they get these they probably played their worst game of the year against San Francisco. They still scored 33 points on them. I mean, this team is coming out, and they are just blowing past opponents. Lane Johnson just said this team's as good as they want to be, and clearly they want to be very good. I mean, Carson Wentz is just now getting his chemistry with Alshon Jeffrey. That's scary. This team has been scoring points with Alshon Jeffrey pretty much being a non-factor. Now he is. And then they bring in Jay Ajayi on that offense, and that defense is still the best rushing defense in football, and they're about to get Ronald Darby back in the secondary. This team may only be scratching their surface. All right, so that'll do it for the very first episode of The Turnover. Join us again next week when we'll talk about everything that you want to know about. If you want to hear about anything, please message us, tweet us, let us know what you want to hear us talk about. I've been Jesse Larch. Have a great rest of your day.